Hello, everybody. Before I dive into today's episode of the Language Hacking Podcast, we talk a lot about Ollie's story learning courses. And if you happen to be listening to this during Black Friday week, please check out the first link in the show notes uh, for this episode, uh, because there is a huge discount and a bunch of other special offers like um, very affordable upgrades if you're getting multiple languages. And Ollie's stuff is very, very good. We have written about it multiple times on the blog. It's high quality stuff and it's uh, cheaper just this week. So check out the link in the show notes and that'll show you the special offers that are live. Uh, but uh, that being said, let's dive right into the episode. The links and resources mentioned in this episode can be found at languagehacking.com forward slash 124. Welcome to the Language Hacking Podcast from Fluent in Three Months. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. I'm your host, Benny Lewis, and I'm joined by my co-host, Elizabeth. And yes, and we are chatting to the one and only Ollie Richards. We've had him on the podcast before, but he is such a big name in the language learning space. I really wanted to have him back on today. You guys would absolutely know him from a lot of things. His videos are absolutely blowing up on YouTube lately, but especially his story learning books and his story learning online courses. So I want to dive into both of those. I want to uh, revisit some of the things we talked about in our last interview, and I want to hear what Ollie's been up to. So thank you so much, Ollie, for joining us again. As always, it is a huge pleasure, and uh, yeah, great to be back. I think I was number four or five or something, right back at the beginning of the podcast. That's right. Yeah, we made sure you were one of the very first people that we had on. I, I do appreciate the, that you were available. But um, yeah, so for people who wouldn't have heard that initial episode, I, I want to kind of uh, get a brief overview of your background and how language learning became a part of your life. So just let's revisit that real quick again. Yeah, so I my story is very similar to you, Benny, in that I grew up in a monolingual English-speaking country. I grew up in the UK and I didn't know anything about the rest of the world, really, Um other than there was this country called France somewhere nearby, and that's pretty much all I knew. And then when I was 18 years old, I moved to London to go to university. And almost everybody in this university was from another country. I had people from Spain and France and Germany and Brazil and Japan. And I suddenly had this real sensation of, hang on a minute, there's a big wide world out there that I know nothing about. And I suddenly felt very insignificant and acutely monolingual and so i i i very quickly just had this feeling developing that i need to be able to speak to these people in their own languages i just felt very very inadequate and so that really set off a a, a, a journey of learning lots of languages french was the first language that i learned um, i actually ended up taking a year away from uni going to paris I bought a one-way ticket to paris the, the kind of thing you can only do when you're 19 you know and um and so from then on, I learned French and then learned a number of other languages. I then had a kind of career shift and went into teaching English. And then that, that took me to Japan and then to the Middle East. So I've learned uh, probably 10 languages over the last 20 years or so. Um, some of them I still speak. Some of them I've forgotten. Some of them have just been a big state of flux. And um, it's really been at the the, the, the most, the, the, the defining feature of my life really is always learning languages and, 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 uh, learning to communicate with different people. And then, um, around the time that I moved to the Middle East, I was in Qatar, um, which is a tiny little Gulf state next to Saudi. I started a blog inspired by Fluent in Three Months and, it was just a bit of fun, really, but then people seemed to like it, so I kept blogging, and then I went into podcasting, making videos, and then that evolved into writing books of short stories, um, and and then all kinds of other things. Uh, so it's been a real roller coaster, uh, and that's the yeah, that's the brief history of of the last twenty years. It's a fascinating history. You started out writing books for language learners, and I actually love the French one that I read because it taught me how to read in a target language. And as an avid reader, that was something that I was really missing in my language learning. And I lost count at, I think you've written over 30 books 
on how to learn to read in language. And they're short stories and they're written in the target language. And the first chapter is about how to do it, like the inside the mind of a polyglot. You did such an excellent job with that, that most people would be like, okay, I'm successful. I'm good at this. I'm going to stop here. But instead, you went forward and decided to launch a full online course for specific languages. And I've actually taken, I've finished all of Spanish Uncovered from start to finish. Highly impressed because, well, I've, I've written, we've written about five reviews and we'll show them in the and the show notes, um, links to them. And uh, three of our, three of our, um, content providers have, have reviewed your courses. I reviewed German, French, and Spanish and Spanish I completed. And I have to say that I was really amazed that you would take on such a, a, a gigantic challenge and do it so well. What inspired you to go from what I would consider the safety of being an author to the challenge of being a creator of a, a full course? Well, I mean, my natural habitat is actually teaching because that's what I've always done. I mean, I, I taught music when I was in my 20s. Um, you know, I would teach guitar and piano to to kids. And then when I went when I went to teach English, uh, I, you know, I became a pretty highly trained uh, teacher and I went on to do diplomas and master's degrees in, in teaching. So that is actually my natural habitat. I'm not really a writer. I don't consider myself a writer at all. Um and so the success of the of the books was a bit of a surprise to me took me by surprise really because i wasn't anticipating it and what i realized was that so many people were buying and enjoying these books um but the problem was these books they're not for complete beginners so if you pick up a copy of short stories in french and you're a complete beginner in french you're not going to get very far because you have to be able to understand some french before you actually uh, can can enjoy the stories. And so for me, the challenge really was, well, how do I actually teach uh, beginners through this same method? I, story learning is the method, this is the name that I've, that I've given to it. It's essentially learning through stories. And, uh, and so I, I, I needed a way to do that because you know, begin, most, most language learners are complete beginners or, or very low level. And so that always seemed to be the challenge for me. And so I, I, it was really a question of, well, how do I help the most people and creating a complete, a complete guided program for someone who is a complete beginner was the, uh, that was the really the obvious thing for me to do. Uh, so just taking a, a little step back, I, I want to understand because like you said, your story and mine have a lot of parallels. But the direction you went in was a little different because stories became such an important part of your teaching philosophy. So I'd love to hear how did that come about? Where, like, what were you inspired to, uh, to make stories the core aspect of your course? What are the advantages of learning through stories? Yeah. Well, I mean, so I've always learned through a, because my, my journey has been a bit, a bit funny, really, because as I'm sure you can relate to, Benny, when I, when I first started making things online, you know, blogging about languages, I really didn't have much confidence about what I was doing. It's, it's one thing to kind of know how you learn languages. It's another to actually know how to go out into the world and present that to other people. And that's a, that's a real kind of journey of, um, of discovering how you do that, how to do that authentically to yourself. And, when I think about how I always learned languages, it was always through a combination of two things, really. It was lots and lots of input through through reading and then lots and lots of speaking. And it's just some combination of the two. And I think at the beginning, when I first started uh, blogging and stuff, I, I focused very heavily on the speaking uh, because that was the thing that people, you know, if you ask, if you generally ask language learners, hey, what do you struggle with? The way that they are, the, the answer is often, oh, I just freeze up when I'm speaking or something like that. So I think I, I decided to kind of tackle that head on and, and I wasn't really, I wasn't really talking in a way that was authentic to, to how I went about learning. Um, I've always spent loads and loads of time speaking, but I've also spent, I've spent just as much, if not more time reading. And I think over, over time, I've just kind of developed the confidence to be actually, to actually be able to say, you know what, this is what I believe in. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna set out my stall and I'm going to you know, sing it from the rooftops and and all of that. And you know the first time that I really discovered 
just how powerful reading was was um, was when I was in Argentina actually, and I was on I was on the top of a of a, of a mountain in this little village, very very high up, and. I, uh, was, the altitude was so high that in the middle of the night, I woke up and I couldn't breathe. It was a really terrifying uh, thing to happen. And I remember getting out of bed and I couldn't breathe. And I ran outside on the balcony, trying to just get some, o- some oxygen into my lungs. And, um, and eventually it came back, but I was really terrified about what happened. So I couldn't go back to bed. So, so I grabbed a book that I had. A book in Spanish, and I sat up for most of the night reading that book, and uh, that was how I just passed the time because we didn't have mobile phones back then. Uh, this was early two thousands, and um, and I didn't really think much of it until the next day when I was walking through the, this little village, um, talking to these these friends of mine that that were with me, and I noticed that all these words were just popping into my head really randomly. I was like, well, that, that's strange. You know, why, why is it that I'm suddenly getting all these words coming to me? And I remembered that it was because I was reading this book last night. And so all of these words were coming to me from nothing uh, from the book that I'd read. And what was interesting about that is that I hadn't made any effort to try to memorize um, any of the vocabulary from the book. I just read it. I just followed along with the story. I tried to follow the gist of the plot. And it turns out that that was enough for lots of words to kind of anchor themselves in my brain, and and I and so I thought that's you know that's that that that's really interesting. There's something to this, and so I kept reading and reading and reading, and over the course of the of the of the the next month or so, um, my Spanish went from pretty pretty uh, ropey to really really quite strong because I just spent all of that time reading, and so that was the time that I really realize the power of it and um and so from then on i just i I just use that as really the cornerstone of everything that i did when i when i when i went on to learn a new language but the problem always was that if you're a complete beginner how do you read because it's not easy to get those materials and so that's what i ended up trying to address um with the with the courses that i that i make it's using that method that's so powerful of reading but making it accessible to people who are who are just beginning you have no many t- no idea how many times as a wannabe language learner, I had asked polyglots, how do you learn a language? And they would say stuff like, oh, I just watch TV or, oh, I just read a book. And I well, thank you. But then I would go with a book and a dictionary and try to read and I'd pull out my hair and then I'd stop for another two years and start again. So this this idea of teaching people how to learn is so much more important than just giving them some tools and telling them to to go right ahead. When I started with Spanish Uncovered, it was during the Fluent in Three Months Challenge, and I knew zero. I think I knew hello and like a few menu items, burrito, tacos. I'm not kidding. And so I started as an absolute beginner, and I was so curious to see how your course translated, how your books translated into a course. Your course, and I'm going to talk about it a lot because I'm a big fan of it, and I really want to dive into how it was created and why, but your course has 20 chapters. And in those chapters, there's 10 segments. So the first segment is you give us a chapter of a book, a book that you've written, a story. And it, and you ask us just to read it, just to try and see what we can figure out from it. And then there's an audio of a native speaker that speaks along with, with you. So you can read it, then you listen to the audiobook. And you actually ask us not to look at the English translation until we've gone through a lecture series. So now I understand, since you've been formally taught as a teacher, I can understand because there's a very yin-yang to your course. Every 15 minutes or so, you're doing something different. You're reading, then you're listening, then you're watching a lecture, then you're doing exercises. So your brain doesn't get tired. Someone like me, uh, I've been nicknamed the Han Solo of, of language learning because I don't want to do flashcards. I don't like, don't tell me what to do. Like just, if you give me a course, I'll decide to break it up and put it into different pieces. Yet this course kept me connected and interested and moving forward because there was a lot of flexibility in the structure. Now we have another author, uh, Caitlin, who is very structured and she likes to go step by step and she loved your course too. Did you have both of these language learners in mind when you wrote this course or were you just like, I'm just going to throw some spaghetti on the wall and see what works? Uh, I'll, I'll be honest. I was mostly trying to do something that was quite guided 
And it's for exactly the reason that you mentioned uh, at the start of your of your question. You know, you you can speak to a very accomplished language learner and, and ask them, you know, how do you learn languages? And like you say, they say, oh yeah, I just watch TV or I just read books. Um, that can that is true. It's just not the complete picture. What they don't say is all the you know five, ten, twenty years of 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 acquired knowledge, of unconscious competence, if you like, that they've developed that they can bring to the task of language learning. Um, because they're actually doing a lot of other things there. They're not just watching TV. They're not just reading. They're also, there's a lot of sub skills going on there, like, um, like, uh, listening for gist or creating mnemonics to try to remember words or things that they might not be aware of even, but they're, they are actually doing them. And, but, but as you, as you correctly state, people who are just getting started don't have any of those micro skills. And so they do need, um, handholding saying, okay, do this and then do that and then do this and, and then do that. So th- I guess that our programs, they generally don't really work for someone who is a very accomplished language learner because an accomplished language learner, someone who's learned lots of languages before, they know what they're doing. They don't need my help. They, you know, they've, they've, they, they, they know what they're doing. And so I saw the task of creating these programs as being quite structured and guided because I'm always thinking, okay, for the person who's new to this, what do they need? And you know, I would talk to people learning languages, and they would say things like, like, just tell me what to do. Like, yeah, I, I know you read, I know you watch TV. Just tell me what to do step by step. So I was trying to do that really, but one of the what I later realized was that one of the benefits of having the course based around an entire story is that if you don't want to go through all of the individual um, lectures and videos and things like that. You don't have to. You can just find your own way, your own path through the material by by using the story as your base. So it, I, I'd, I'd love to say it was all part of the genius plan, but it was actually more of a kind of happy coincidence. Excellent stuff. And like, um, as people will see in the show notes, they can uh, check out the um, the offers that that are going on and the currently available languages. I know you're constantly expanding on them but at the moment you have spanish italian german french japanese chinese uh, russian and turkish uh, but something that you've done most recently which was not the case when i last spoke to you is you've dived into the intermediate level and you've got that for the the first ones i mentioned the spanish italian german french and japanese so how like when i think of creating this kind of course i imagine there was so many innovations you had to make when you were getting into the beginner level, because the alignment of reading as a beginner is such a hard thing to imagine that like making that shift can be so huge. And then of course, reading as an advanced mastery level speaker is just, just pick up native materials. You don't really need any guidance with that, but the intermediate stage, it feels like you're tackling an, a completely different problem. So what did you find was different in creating the intermediate courses compared to the beginning stage? Great question. Actually, it was a lot more straightforward. And the reason is that, you know, when, when you're, it's a lot harder to make stuff for complete beginners, right? Because they have no, no existing knowledge or you can't assume any existing knowledge. And so you're really having to dumb things down a little bit to make sure that for people who are struggling, they can still get through. When you get to the intermediate level, it's actually a lot more straightforward because what you can do is um, you, you can, you, the format is exactly the same. So it's all based on a story. Obviously the story is at an intermediate level rather than a beginner level. Um, but rather than, rather than saying, um, rather than giving the guidance that we do at the beginner level, which is very much like, okay, read and listen to this. Don't worry if you don't understand, just keep going. Just, you know, just try to build up your, your, your um ability to 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 read to not get frustrated you know spend time with the language at an intermediate level it's more like okay guys you know the deal here is your content here's the story go ahead and 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 read it take the same approach but then when we come to the instruction actually when you get to an intermediate level because we have intermediate and upper intermediate as well um although you you can't you have to go you have to take it sequentially. So you have to start with intermediate and then upper intermediate to, to progress through the course. Um, actually what you need at that stage is more in depth instruction because while at the early, at the beginner stages we're saying like, don't worry about the grammar and the grammar will come. 
Well, when you get to the intermediate level, that's where, okay, now it's time to study this grammar. So actually, at the intermediate stage, it is more, it starts to resemble more of a, of a, of what the kind of instruction you'd find in a traditional program, because we have to go into depth, into more depth with the more, with these more difficult and complex, um, grammar topics. We're still teaching through story. It's the, exactly the same, but we're a little bit more direct, which is actually easier from the perspective of creating a course. I am so in need of the intermediate courses. <laughs> I, <I'm gonna laughs> they were lots of fun to make. I, I bet. And um, just judging by how well done the beginner courses were, I imagine the intermediate is going to take people very far. You talked about micro skills. And this is a question for both you and Benny. This idea of listening for gist, you actually have a segment on it, which is about cognates. And for those of you that don't know, cognates are when a word is basically exactly the same as your native language. So pronunciation and pronunciation spelled in French is exactly the same. So if you're reading, you're going to know what that word is. Now you have a fancy word that you didn't have two seconds ago. And you actually go step by step by teaching how you notice that. Because some of the cognates in Spanish are similar, but there's a few letters that are different. And so you explain how to look for gist as well as listening for gist. So my question to both of you, because I think this is something, this is a key aspect of polyglot the polyglot mind is how do you learn to listen for gist because it's uncomfortable initially. And Benny, Benny, um, do you want to start and then Ali, you can give me your in input as well. I mean, uh, yeah, when, when I get into these languages, I try as much as possible to leave my biases aside because like my English speaking bias is that a word like special has to start with an S and a P. And if it's like anything else, it's wrong. It's just, that's not how it works. But in Spanish, they don't like to put those two consonants together. And the Spanish equivalent, especial, has that E, that very distinctive extra bit. And I can go into Spanish thinking, you know, oh, why do they have to be so annoying? Why can't they be more like English? And I try to distance myself from that because like it, you have to be a little bit more humbling and start to think my mother tongue is not the guidance of the universe. This is just how my particular um, language and the family that I grew up with happened to be speaking, but it's just noises coming out of my face hole. You know, there's nothing, I don't put it up on a pedestal. So English is as much worthy of uh, respect and awe as Spanish is. And I try to think maybe especial is for now, that's the right way to say the word. And I need to think that special is not that great and back away from it a little bit. So I, I really try to change my mentality because I feel like a lot of people, when they go in and they see these different pronunciations, they feel like they ask themselves, why, why did they have to change and they didn't change, you know, that that's just the way the language is. English has its own problems. I like to be more critical of my mother tongue. And I, I'm always quick to tell people, ah, English has the most, has the craziest spelling rules and all of these things. And I really try to put the other language up on a pedestal and think that is just, that is the way I need to say these words. How do you do Yeah, ab something? absolutely. I mean, the, the thing is that you've got, your mother tongue can give you certain shortcuts, certain advantages, and then hold you back in other ways simultaneously. So, you know, you, in the case of Spanish, you know, you, in, certain words will reveal themselves um, to you quite easily because they're similar to English. So that seems like a shortcut. Um, but then you don't want to rely on your English for too long because then as soon as you run into con to more difficult concepts like the subjunctive, um, or different forms of the past tense or verb conjugations, then you start to think, okay, hell, this is not the same as English. What's going on? So I think you have to, you kind of have to pick and choose. And, uh, you know, I, it, it, it is certainly easier the more languages you know, for sure, because you just get used to that process of entering this world. And, you know, like, like Benny was saying, not, not coming at it from a perspective, you know, why is this like that? But just accepting it the way it is. Uh, but really, this is one of the big advantages of learning through a method like story learning, because um, I'm not at all biased, obviously. Uh, but it's just that 
uh, that you know when you're reading a story you are immersed in that world and so you just learn the lessons a lot faster i think one of the drawbacks of the um of the, of the more traditional ways of learning where you, there's a lot of translation and a lot of uh, relying on the on your on your mother tongue is that it just it doesn't it keeps you on stabilizers while, while you're riding the bike um for too long whereas the approach that we take is more it's going to hurt but we're going to take those stabilizers off right from the beginning and yeah it's going to be a bit wobbly at first but it will be so much easier uh once you actually once you actually find your balance and i think you know learning to learning to accept and to get used to concepts in another language um, for themselves rather than translating from English is, is, is that process of learning to just balance on the bike as you're riding it. And the, generally, the quicker you do that, the better. Now, in terms of when you were creating these courses, is it true that for some of them, you actually went all the way to the country? Like, did you go to Japan when you're creating the Japanese? Uh, that to me is fascinating because like I've made a bunch of courses, but I've just kind of use my research online and, and like use my own knowledge. Like what, what did you find by going to the country while creating the course and what motivated you to do that? Oh, so, you know, I haven't, that's funny. I haven't really thought about that. Um, so let me think, I've never been asked that before. You know, one of the biggest constraints with making these courses is working with the right people. So I don't teach all of the courses myself. So I do teach the Japanese course. I teach the Spanish course as well, the beginner course. Um, but I, uh, for the Russian course, for example, I don't, I don't speak Russian. So we work with a very uh, talented teacher, Anastasia, for, for that. But finding the, the experts for the various courses is the hardest thing of all. And we often, for many years, we didn't make courses because we couldn't find that right person to, to, to make them with. And so with Japanese... Actually, we looked for years to try and find the right Japanese tutor to work with, because making a course like this is very busy. It's very takes a long time, and I was super busy. And I was, oh, you know what? I'm not. I'm just not sure if I have the time to devote to making an entire course. But then it got to the point where we just couldn't find the right person, and I knew that I could do it, and I and I would enjoy doing it. So I said, right, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it. I'm gonna teach this course myself. And um, but I needed to work with a native Japanese teacher who could um, properly show how to write um, Japanese, for example. We have a whole segment in the course, which is how to write hiragana and katakana and some kanji as well. And I can write that stuff, but it doesn't look great. And so I wanted to, I wanted to work with a, with a native speaker. And I so I sensei was, uh, was her name. And so we, uh, I went to Japan to film the course with her so she could, uh, she could help us with the the writing modules with the pronunciation modules we also walked around tokyo and filmed some cultural lessons in places like the imperial palace uh, so it kind of just made sense to go there to just be immersed in the in in the in the environment and um, and make the course like that and there was also the fact that i hadn't been to japan for ages and i really wanted to go so those things all together uh, that, that's basically why yeah, your experts were fantastic. Um, I think you had Kristen Cable for German, who is super charming. Kirsten Cable, that's right. Kirsten, yeah. Kirsten Cable. And you also don't abandon your students because I was like, oh, for French, there was a new teacher. I'm like, I'm not going to see Ali, but you are still in there. You're teaching the theory and they're teaching the specific language pieces. So it's a really nice mix. The game changer for me, believe it or not, in this course well, I would just say I've never seen this in any other course, was that you offered for each chapter a practice sheet that you could take to a language exchange partner or you could take to a tutor. And that was amazing because I often find, um, as as Benny has taught me, as a disciple of Benny's Speak From Day One, you get an online teacher, tutor, and you just, you go, you kind of prepare, which I never do, but Benny does. And you, you try your best to, to go through it. And the tutor is kind of taking you on a path or you're taking them on a path, but to explain the course would be just way too difficult. So what you have is a sheet that you can print out, or you can send as a PDF to the language exchange partner or the tutor, and they know the questions to ask. They know where you are. They know what you're focusing on. This to me 
was amazing. How did you come up with the concept of helping to, because speaking is important. Uh, absolutely. And the, like, like I said, at the beginning of the, of the conversation, you reading and stories by themselves are not enough. You have to speak. You, know, so you have to, the, the, the basic flow is that you, you know, in, in my world is that you learn and acquire the language through reading and listening, and then you develop fluency through speaking. You need both of those things. And so I knew that it would ultimately be a disservice for people to say, no, no speaking, don't need to speak, just read. Just read and you'll be and you'll be fluent. It's not doesn't not how it works, and so um, so I thought about how I go about doing this. And you know, whenever I'm learning a language, I spend my time reading, and then the the thing that I'm reading, whatever whether it's an article or a story or a book, I take it to my tutor. And I say, hey, this is what I've been reading. Can we talk about it? And what that means is you get to recycle the things that you're learning. So if you've been reading about astronomy, then when you take it to your tutor, you then get to speak about astronomy and you're practicing the words that you've been learning. And so you get this big cycle um, of learning and practicing and reviewing and forgetting, which is a big part of it as well, and then re-remembering and then practicing. And so you do those things in, in tandem. So I, so I thought, well, as you say, you can't like, if you just book a lesson with a teacher, how are they supposed to know what you've been working on? And so for each chapter in, in the, in, in the course, we give a summary of the language and the function um, from that chapter of the course written specifically to the teacher so that you know, like you, know, you can literally just hand it to them. They can read it and say, right, okay, I know what I have to help them with. And it's all super clear. And so really it was just the kind of best, we, we thought of it as the best, the best possible service that we could, um, that we could give. So I'm, I'm really pleased it's been, it was, uh, it was useful for you. So during this uh, Black Friday week, one thing that is on offer is uh, a possibility to upgrade to uh, multiple languages when people have gotten like the one they prefer. And I, I am very curious because one of the biggest criticisms I have for something of the likes of like Rosetta Stone is they were, they took a hugely copy paste approach where they literally translated their content and it just does not work when you have the same content for a European language with something like Chinese. And so, like, how did you uh, deal with the fact that you knew you wanted to share these stories, but the stories would have to be unique in some way and they would have to go, you'd have to ha teach in a way that you're helping them learn each of those languages. So how is each course ultimately so different to any of the other ones? Yeah, so this is a really important part of how we go about teaching at Story Learning, really, because as you identified, Software and apps tend to take this approach of um, of just kind of mass translating everything. Everything becomes an algorithm, um, and so you the thing that you hear or see in one language is sort of exactly the same in another language, which is kind of cool if you're making an app and you want to make as many languages as you can as quickly as possible. But for the learner, it just kind of results in this very you know robotic type experience, whereas for me, what teaching really is, is this relationship between the student and the teacher. It's the human element with all its imperfections and, and all of that um, baked in. Now, obviously, what we we can't have that one-on-one -on -one relationship with the teacher or with the student. But what we can do is make sure that every single course that we make, everything, every single bit of teaching we do is is very individual and personalized to the teacher. So the basic way, the, th the thing in common with all of our story learning courses is the methodology. So we teach through stories and we have the same system within the courses where you know you will begin by immersing yourself in the story and then we gradually help you uh, uncover the vocabulary and the grammar from the stories that you're reading. Uh, and then we have, uh, you know, the process is the same, but the actual content from one language to the next is completely different. So 
For example, the story that the course is based on is completely different between, say, French and Korean or Japanese and Spanish. We write a new story from scratch for each of the courses precisely because every language is different. If I'm teaching you Japanese, I'm not going to be teaching you the, the same stuff as if I was teaching you Spanish. And so we need to approach it in a very different way. You know, so for example, one of the things that we do in the Spanish course is we start off by introducing lots and lots of cognates, which are words that are sort of similar between English and Spanish. So you can recognize them. And this gives you a big head start because you kind of get lots of words for free, even if you're totally new to learning Spanish. So the story contains lots of cognates that we've chosen uh, deliberately for that. Now with Japanese, you don't really have that. There are some cognates in Japanese, um, but it's, it's, it's really, it's, it's a very different type of, of, of cognate. It's because it's, there's, there's no commonality between the language. And so um, in, with Japanese, what we do is we focus on other things. So when you start the Japanese course, you will be focusing a lot on sentence patterns because a lot of the, 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 the challenge of learning a language like Japanese is learning to think in a different way. And so we write a new story for that in order to help you just start to recognize different sentence patterns in Japanese. So it's a really kind of different approach to the story. And then within that, we have individual tutors who teach these courses. So I teach the Spanish and the Japanese course myself. Um, we have other tutors who teach, for example, the Russian course, which I don't speak Russian. And what we do is we allow the teacher quite a lot of freedom to emphasize the different things that they think are important. Now, the tutors that we work with are so experienced, both with teaching, but also through teaching through stories, through this method that, um, that we teach with, that it allows for this, for their personality to really come through. Imperfections at all, right? But, but what we, I mean, my real wish for this is that as you go through these courses as a student, you form this personal relationship with the teacher, even though you're not physically there with them, because we really allow them to express themselves, be creative. And every single course we like to think of as its own kind of work of art. That's fantastic. And for people who are fans of your books, because like I, I just did a, a road trip through America and I was like driving through states like Montana and North Dakota and I would pop into the bookshops and I would see your story learning books right there in these distant states. So you have definitely reached a lot of people. And for those who are curious, like, how have you changed your online courses? Like, what would be the advantage of using those if somebody's already got a copy of one of your physical books? Yeah, it's a really interesting question, because actually one of the things that, um, that I think I'm probably most known for now is actually my books. Uh, precisely because they've they've done really well and they are in shops all over all over the world. Um, it's quite rare that I go into a bookshop in in London or in the UK and I don't find at least a few, uh, a few the, the books in at least a few different languages. So a lot of people kind of when they when I do interviews and, and, and things like that, a lot of people say, "Oh, so Ollie, you're most known for your for your books," but that's <laughs> they're not really the starting point. So I mean, essentially, the way that I think about it is. Our story learning courses, which are the things that we are, that we, the main thing that we offer is what we're offering um, at, during Black Friday this year is what we sell on, on the website. Those courses are the, it's, well, it's the course, it's the program, it's the, it's the language course, it's the education. If you're coming to, say, learning French as a beginner, this is what it's for. So we take you from, it's a structured program to learn the language. Now, the books are a little bit different because the books are more, uh, I think of them as language practice. So if you already speak some French or some Turkish or some Japanese, what the books give you is the ability to actually start to read for the first time. Because many people never start reading in a foreign language ever. They think, well, I'll start when I'm ready. But my approach is always, no, you start before you're ready because the, the day never comes. And it's through reading that you kind of get the practice and the exposure that helps you improve, and like not the other way around. And so the books are specifically written to help people who are fairly new to the language actually read their, take their first steps in reading and experience reading for the first time. And so w w when I talk to prospective students, who are thinking about learning with with story learning? What I say is, well, the best sort of the most the most logical path through what we do is to begin with our structured programs, our beginner program, and then when you finish that, you'll be at the perfect point to pick up one of the books and start to read the stories 
within that. So really, they 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 combine together. You know, there's there's no such thing as, you know, it's, it's you you see so many, you know, language programs and language apps and saying this course will make you fluent. It's like, well, actually, not so much. Everybody, you know, you walk into any language learner's living room and they've got. 20, 30 books on the shelf. We all use a combination of materials, you know, and people that even our most kind of devoted students, they, they learn with other people. They take, they take fluent in three months challenges. They get books from other people. You know, people learn with lots of different material. And the reason is that learning a language is hard and it takes a long time. So really they are, they are designed to be taken together. If you're already, uh, if you can already uh, understand a language, then you may want to start with one of the books. Um, but if you're completely new, then a course is the best place to start because you won't be able to understand uh, the storybooks uh, if you're a complete beginner. A little off topic, but I know inquiring minds want to know, can you two tell me about when you first met? I mean, how do polyglots meet? Would, would it have been at a conference or when I visited London at some stage, Ali? So let me think. This is taking me way back now. I think I'm going to say 2013. That's not actually when we met, but that's actually when I first heard about this chap called Benny Lewis. And um, I, you know, Benny inspired me to start my blog in the first place. I mean, I'd been learning languages for, you know, over a decade already, um, much like Benny had, but I, I hadn't, I didn't actually know that there was such a thing as an online language community. And so I, I read about Benny and I, and I saw what he was doing and he was one of the people that inspired me to start, to start blogging in the first place. I think that the first time we actually met was in the, well, we knew each other online for quite some time because I did some guest blogging for Fluent in three months and Benny was super supportive of of what I was doing right from the beginning, even when I was like a, you know, fresh-faced, <laughs> you know, to- totally new to the uh, to the online, the online space. And I think that we met first in one of the polyglot gatherings, which is a kind of quite informal uh, event for language learners that was always held in Berlin back in the day. I mean, it's probably around 2014, 2015 when we first met, um, you know, in person. And then obviously since then, we've met, you know, multiple times a year at various different language events. Yeah. And one thing I really like about meeting polyglots and especially was true when I, when I met Ollie is you, you expect this kind of, uh, if you're not in the community, you expect this big personality person to be like unapproachable and to, to like, be like way too smart and you can't possibly have a conversation with them. But when you meet them at events, they're very humble and they're, um, they're very aware of their own faults and they're very easy to talk to and they're very relatable. And so it's like one thing with Ollie and I's friendship and we have hung out plenty of times outside of these conferences is uh, that we, we share that, you know, we go through our own life struggles and that things aren't always that that perfect that you would imagine they would be as a, an online internet personality. And uh, it's one thing I really like that the polyglot community is very much open to sharing uh, the full side of the, the story of not just language learning, but your life in general. So Ali, I'll spare you the question on you, uh, what you think uh, language hacking is that we generally ask people in these podcasts, because you've already given us that answer. And I would like to hear what do you have uh, coming up in the future before we wrap up? Yeah. So, I mean, I always have various irons in the fire, but the main thing, the main kind of major project that I'm working on is actually a certification and it's called the Certificate of Online Language Teaching or CIELT for short. Um, and you can find that at cealt.com, so C-E-O-L-T.com. And it's a, it's, a, it's a new project that we started this year where we're actually training people to be online language teachers. And the reason this is so important for me is that, you know, I got into teaching right back at the beginning by doing a TEFL course in London. And, you know, I was changing careers and I thought, right, need to do a certificate. So I did a TEFL course. It was actually a CELTA course as it's, as it's known. It's a really good course. And I took that course and I went off and lived in Japan and taught in Japan. And, um, and it was the beginning of a new life for me. And I'm, you know, forever grateful that I, that I did it. But then in subsequent years, since I've sort of discovered the online world and, um, you know, built a, built up a presence in the online world, I've realized that things have changed. And for language teachers now, uh, it, it's just simply not the case that 
the skill you need is teaching in person in large groups, right? But that's what you get from most established uh, language teacher training courses. You know, you learn to go and work in a language school teaching large groups of people um, in person. But actually, language teaching now has shifted online. Not completely, but in large part, right? So if you take language lessons online, um, for start, it's, it is usually online, now not face-to-face. And it's usually one-to-one as well. So what I wanted to do was create a teacher certification for the modern world. So it's we're, we're aiming for it to be as high quality as the, you know, the Cambridge courses that I took. Um, we're working with some fantastic, very experienced teacher trainers. So we're aiming to deliver um, you know, world-class quality teacher training, but it's focused on helping people uh, actually uh, prepare for the reality of what they're going to do, which is, uh, you know, which is teaching one-to-one online because it is a very different skill set. The fundamentals are the same. The fundamentals of teaching are the same, but you have to know how to do things like, uh, you know, what do you do with materials? You don't have a textbook now, so what, you know, how do you manage your materials online? Um, and, uh, you know, what resources do you have available? What what are the best ways to teach when you don't have, uh, you know, physical activities to do with a group or, or a whiteboard for the classroom? So it is a, a really different set of of of, um, of skills. And it's what's interesting is that we have a very different mix of people joining. So the first cohort we ran in um, October, we had a mix of people who were completely new to teaching, but also people that had been teaching for quite some time, but wanted to get some proper training to transition to online teaching. And so, and so that's what we offer. Uh, it's that teacher training. And the other thing, the other part that we do, which makes the course very unique is we actually then teach people how to build their own online tutoring business, because the reality is you don't need to go and get a job with a language school. Um, you can build your own um, independent business by, um, by, meeting students online. And so we actually train you to to do that. So it is kind of like the training that I wish I had when I first started teaching. Although I, in fairness, that wouldn't have been possible because the internet wasn't so developed back in 2008 when I did my, my teacher training. But, you know, the world has changed so much since then. So, uh, you know, what I'm trying to create is a new path for people to, um, to you know, to, to experience the joy of teaching, which is, you know, such a, such a wonderful thing to do. So yeah, if anyone wants to find out more about that, they can go to, um, cealt.com, C-E-O-L-T.com. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear from you. Excellent stuff. Well, it's been great to have you on the podcast. And of course we have talked so much about Ollie's story learning courses in this episode. So as a reminder to people, if you check out the show notes, you'll see, especially if you're listening to this during the Black Friday week, that there are special offers going on on those courses that are time sensitive. So you should absolutely check those out right now. And uh, that being said, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you so much, Ollie, for joining. I really loved catching up with you again. Thanks so much. It is always a pleasure. Yeah, always a pleasure. And until the next time, I wish everybody listening a very happy language learning. Happy language learning, everyone. So another excellent chat with Ollie and uh, I was very happy to have you with me, Elizabeth, because your experience with his courses were uh, were fantastic to hear from the horse's mouth how useful they are. So um, uh, I'm curious out of that episode, what kind of big takeaways would you have taken from it? I think my biggest takeaway, aside from being really excited to meet Ollie, was learning. He articulated what I knew was happening in the course but this idea of you need to learn the micro skills about language learning. So you talk about it a lot in terms of like considering it's a, you're talking on the telephone and there's a lot of static and you can get the gist of the conversation. And the same thing happens when you're learning a language and someone speaks to you. You're trying to get the gist of the conversation. That is a micro skill. And what I see happens with beginners is someone starts talking and they get so panicked that their brain freezes. And they don't even realize that this is a learning, this is a, this is a learning experience that they could be having right now. Instead, they panic and shut down and say, Oh, I don't speak the language. So learning micro skills is essential. Yeah. Micro skills. Definitely agree with that. I think, um, I mean, Ollie always has some great takeaways, but I like the, 
question you you put us in the direction of thinking about uh, like our meetups. And I do like to remind people that when uh, they listen to the likes of me and Ollie and uh, like faces that they are that they're seeing on YouTube and in books and such, it can feel like uh, you know these big polyglots have everything figured out. And I try to make it very clear on on my podcast and on uh, videos I make on social media that I've gone through my rough times. But essentially, when Ollie and I hung out, we had a very big heart to heart where we shared a lot of our own personal struggles. And like, even when uh, you have success in something like language learning, I like to remind people that we're all human and you don't have to imagine that, uh, you know, your life as a language learner has to be some level of perfection. And if you're going through your own personal struggles, that this means you can't quite be like this person you look up to. Uh, so I, I like that that just happened to come up because it, it reminded me that, you know, the humbling factor that we're all human is just so important. And uh, that's definitely true with both Ollie and me. Uh, that would be my big takeaway. So thank you everybody for listening. And again, don't forget to check out the first link in the show notes for a special offer. If you're listening to this on Black Friday week uh, to check out Ollie's spectacular story learning courses and uh, you'll see some great deals there. So thank you. Make sure to check that out. And until the next time, happy language learning. Happy language learning. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Language Hacking Podcast. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you found this episode valuable and want to help us out, please leave us a review at languagehacking.com forward slash review. The Language Hacking Podcast is presented by Benny Lewis, Shannon Kennedy, and Elizabeth Bruckner, and produced by Alice Semino, with special thanks to the Fluent in Three Months team. The theme music was written and performed by Shannon Kennedy. Find the show notes at languagehacking.com forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and happy language learning.